You can tell from our gospel passage this morning that we are coming close. Coming close to the ending that serves as a beginning. You can tell we are coming close because Jesus is clearly in trouble. And he knows it. You see, uh, the, the part that just precedes what we heard this morning is when Jesus goes into Bethany and raises Lazarus from the tomb. And news like that tends to travel fast. All the way to the religious authorities who are terrified. They are afraid because someone who can raise the dead cannot be controlled. And so they decide that it is better to keep the entire nation alive and to sentence one person to die. And so they decide, and word is sent out, that anyone who knows where Jesus of Nazareth is must turn him in. And so this is where we find ourselves. Back in Bethany, back at the scene of this raising, back with Martha and Mary and even Lazarus, back with all those disciples at dinner. At dinner with a man who has a death warrant hanging over his head. What are the words that are appropriate for dinner conversation? Like, what words fit that? What do you say when you're having dinner with someone that you know is going to die? What do you do? Well, if you're Mary, what you do, knowing that Jesus is going to die, what you do is you pour out yourself in love. Mary goes and um, gets this ointment, this... Uh, perfume of pure nard. She's likely been holding on to this for some time. She comes and pours it all over Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. And the fragrance, we are told, the fragrance was so powerful that it fills the whole house. Anybody who was there that night could not have missed it. 
which, well, provokes a response. Judas rebukes her in front of everyone. How could you do this? And, um, and it makes me wonder, uh, after Judas explodes with this indignation, but before Jesus kind of steps into the breach, how did the rest of the folks in the room feel? How did Martha feel seeing Mary do this? How did the rest of the disciples feel when Mary inserts herself into this place? Were they, were they a little bit indignant, maybe a little envious that Mary had this intimacy with the rabbi? Were they relieved that Judas chastised her so that they didn't have to? Were they confused about how to respond when this is what Jesus was facing? Were they thrilled that Mary loved Jesus in the way that he needed in this last week? How would you have felt if you were there in that room watching as this unfolds? Well, Judas's response is pretty clear, but I have to say it's, um, it's a response that uh, I have a lot of feelings about. I have a lot of feelings about uh, the way that Judas is portrayed and the part that he plays in this story over the years. And I think uh, part of those uh, feelings, like maybe one of the feelings is a feeling of um, anxiety because I know how this text has been used in the past and I know how it can be used now and I'm anxious for Jewish people that I love. And maybe another one of the feelings is disgust Disgust because um, of Judas's actions to someone who loved him so fully. And perhaps fear. Because I'm afraid that in the words and actions of Judas, I recognize myself. And I think that um, I, I think this is part of why I take issue with the writer of the Gospel of John, who has um, shaded this part of the story in regards to Judas in a particular way, uh, in a way as to almost make Judas unrecognizable. And it takes place in all these parenthetical statements. 
statements like, uh, you know, Judas Iscariot, the one who was going to betray Jesus. Or he was indignant about the, the way that this money could have been used to care for the poor. But he didn't really care for the poor. He just used to keep the common purse and steal from it. And what that, I think, serves to do is to, um, over time, make it far too easy for us to believe that Judas wasn't really one of them, right? That Judas really isn't one of us. That's things that other people do. And... uh, (laughs) And yet, Judas's ethical calculus really is not that far off base. Uh, do you uh, have a sense of how much this ointment, this nard, was worth? How much money? Any ideas? A hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. At three hundred denarii, right? A, a denarii was usually what a, a laborer was paid for a day's work. Biblical scholars put that at about just about twenty thousand dollars. $20,000 poured out in a matter of minutes. So, I, um, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen with that $20,000. A lot of people could be fed. A lot of people could be cared for. And it's gone. Who does that? Who, uh, who takes something of such great value and uses it on someone who's going to die? Mary does. But more importantly, why? The Jesuit priest and one of the founders of Homeboy Industries, Greg Boyle, when he started uh, down at his parish as a young priest in East Los Angeles, did his best to save the lives of his parishioners who were being killed regularly because of gang associated violence. And, you know, the, what else do you do when 10-year-olds are being killed because bullets don't have names on them? Uh, but he found over time that uh, he could not do that. 
He couldn't save lives. What he realizes now is that's the Coast Guard's job. No, uh, what he can do is enter as fully as he can into the lives of the people around him and the people who are hurting and encounter them as fully as possible and love them. Because when we try to um, make a person an object of our saving, they are no longer themselves. And so what he does then is to love them regardless of what is happening around them. And so it has come down to a choice, he says, and the choice is always the same. When you encounter the world, save it or savor it. And he votes for savoring it. Which is just what Mary does. And it does not make sense. And I totally get this from Judas's perspective. You're doing what with that? But Mary is doing it because she knows what they all know in that room. Every single person knows that Jesus is going to die. And she knows this because she knows what happens to the people who walk the cruciform path. And it is so much easier for us when we encounter that to want to try and save it or to turn aside from it. And instead, she gathers just what I can only imagine as immense courage. And she takes this ointment that she has been holding on to forever. And rather than saving it for after Jesus is dead, she comes to him and she pours it and herself out out to love him. And it is intimate and it is stunning and it is extravagant. Because she loves him. And so I think in this passage, this back and forth about the poor and how to care for the poor is actually a red herring. Because Jesus the Christ gave his life over and over and over again for people who were beat down and who were shunted aside. And the statement that he gives back is... Um, it's from Deuteronomy. And the context of that statement from Deuteronomy is how the people of God are always, always, always to care for the people who are poor and who are marginalized. Always. I wonder if this story is about how to love even 
to the end, especially to the end, when it does not make sense. God's extravagant love and our participation in it is for those who do not understand it, for those who cannot return it, and for those who do not deserve it. Yes, Judas is in all of us. This way to look at the world in its chaos and its pain and to look for self-interest or to count the cost and to turn aside. And yes, the potential of Mary is in all of us. To look at a world that is hurting and lost and on the edge. And to have the courage to relentlessly, extravagantly love it anyways.